the task that um, I have been given or I've taken upon myself in 2019 is to look at the Bible in its entirety. Uh, really, there's 50 sermons. Uh, there was an introductory sermon in 2018. But 50 sermons, the only Sundays we will take off. Next Sunday will be one of those, Easter Sunday, and then the Sunday before Christmas. The challenge is to take, therefore, a rather large section of Scripture and condense it down to its essence. My thought is many times we get bogged down in the details and we don't see the big picture. And so this year is about seeing the big picture, one big story, and the themes. And I, I was reminded of that today, or this week, as I studied about the life of David. Our focus this Sunday, and actually for a couple more, will be David. And if I were just to say to you, well, what do you remember about David from the Bible? Well, I don't know what you're going to remember. You probably would think of the story of David and Goliath. That's a biggie. You might think about David being the king. Um, you might even connect David to the book of Psalms. And think about that. There's probably some other negative stories about David you could think about. But what I was reminded of this week is I, I looked at so much of the scripture that is about David. Is that David is the most esteemed character in all the Old Testament. David is the most esteemed character in the whole Old Testament. How do we know that? Well, there are 66 chapters in the Old Testament that are uh, given to the historical record of David's life. 66 chapters. Those are in 1st and 2nd Samuel into 1st Kings and then 1st Chronicles, um, maybe into 2nd Chronicles. No, no, I don't think so. Um, 66 chapters, that does not even account for uh, probably half of the 150 Psalms are attributed to David as an insight into his spiritual life. When I say that David is the most esteemed person in the Old Testament, uh, this is also verified. He is the most mentioned Old Testament character in the New Testament. Fifty-nine times David is mentioned in the New Testament more than anyone else. That's more than Moses. That's more than Abraham. I don't know, Elijah, whatever greats you would think of, David is more mentioned in the New Testament than anyone else. But here, here's the clincher. There is only one person in all the Old Testament that God said, not only am I going to make you the leader of my people, 
But I am going to so esteem you that all of your lineage after you will sit on the throne over my people. There is no other leader in the Old Testament that is succeeded uh, by his lineage that God said, yes. Now, it is true that Abraham is blessed and all of the children of Israel are blessed of God. It is true that uh, Aaron is the high priestly line and that continues. But if you're talking about leadership, there's only one person that God said, it's not just you, but all of your ancestors after you will be in the role of leadership, will sit on the throne. That includes Moses. In fact, I don't have time to go back to these stories, but Moses, mm-mm. he wasn't followed by his lineage. The judges uh, there's some stories they tried some of that. No, mm-mm. that wasn't the case. Samuel, they rejected Samuel's lineage. Saul, no. God so esteems David that he chooses his lineage to be in the position of leadership. We're going to get to this in another sermon forever that is ultimately fulfilled in a figure we'll get to that in the third sermon on David the son of David it was referenced in our Sunday school lesson this morning the son of David there is one who is coming in the lineage of David that will sit on the throne forever It comes down to all the way to today. Do you know what the most holy city in all the world is? I'm going there in a couple months. Jerusalem. Really from several faiths. Do you know why Jerusalem is the most holy city in all the world even now? 3,000 years after the events that we will talk about today have happened is because David, the one who was chosen by God, chose that place to be his capital and the place that he and his people would worship God. I think you begin to put those things together and you begin to see that from God's estimation, David is the epitome, is the greatest of all the kings, and God honors him in really an unbelievable way. It's kind of interesting. I don't know if y'all are detailed people. I don't know how closely y'all are following these sermons. We do have a reference sheet on your pews if you want to look at that, and it gives you some uh, things that you can look at. Some of the things that I will talk about this morning are included on here and may help you with kind of visualizing some of those things. Um, some of the dates I have given you before this time were kind of like, ah, ah, we think about, you know, this guy lived and reigned, or this event happened about this time. 
It occurred to me this week when we get to David, boom, we have precise dates, uh, which is kind of crazy because it's about 3,000 years ago, but from historical records, biblical records, secular records, we know David is born in the year 1040 B.C. Not about that time. No, David was born 1040 B.C. We know that David uh, dies um, 971 B.C. And um, I want you to kind of know those dates and to understand that as we talk about dates from here on out, these are precise dates that we know from the biblical record and from uh, the secular record. Uh, maybe a mental note of a couple things. You'll kind of know where we're heading. You'll need to know this. David is born in a little city called, a little town, I should probably say, called uh, Bethlehem. Hmm. May come up again in the story somewhere down the road. Uh, one of kind of the under interesting things that I know, you find just, would I just put this in? David becomes king when he's 30 years of age. Well, maybe just something to kind of file. Uh, it may have a certain significance on down the road. Uh, David is born into the tribe of Judah. Want to make a mental note of that. Uh, it's kind of interesting that actually, prophetically, uh, Jacob, who became known as Israel, when he blesses the 12, his 12 sons, he says in Genesis 49, 10, I believe, he says the scepter, the ruler, the stick that a king would hold, the scepter shall never depart out of Judah's hand. Man, you're talking about... I don't know how many years, a thousand years before David is ever even born. The old patriarch says the scepter shall never depart out of Judah's hand. God had a plan from the very beginning. Um, I think you ought to be able to put some, some ages and dates to David, and these are on your reference sheet, but um, David, probably before he's 17 years of age, is anointed by the prophet Samuel. 17 years of age, he, slay, he slays Goliath. If you do the math, it's another 13 years before David becomes king at the age of 30. And actually at the age of 30, he becomes the king over Judah. And originally, his capital city is Hebron. Um, then when he is 37 years of age, he becomes the king over all 12 tribes. David is such a monumental figure in the Old Testament that we will not summarize his life this morning. We will only talk about his rise to the throne this morning. Next Sunday morning, Jesus will be raised from the dead. Okay? We're going to depart from the sermon series. Two weeks from this Sunday... We will talk about David's writing, writings in the book of Psalms, and I'll allude to that at least some this morning. And then three weeks from this Sunday, we will talk about the covenant that God made with David and his lineage that will trace its way all the way to the Messiah, Jesus himself. In Samuel's day, 
the great prophet, the people asked for a king. God gave them what they wanted in Saul to prove to them what they needed in David. Saul was a king that was chosen by man's standards. David was a king that was chosen by God's standards. And God has this contrast between Saul and David. And I want you to think about this. What was it about David that God would so highly esteem him? It's one of those 30,000-foot perspective questions when you begin to look and you understand that David is the most esteemed person in all of the Old Testament that with everybody else he said no it's through your line that someone will always sit on the throne of my kingdom and you say what what is it that's really our question this morning what was it about David that God would so highly esteem him we begin to get some of the answer in the first story of his anointing in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, Just a little glimpse of what it was that God saw that other people did not see. In 1 Samuel 16, in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Oh, I practiced this this week. Bethlehemite. Whew. For a guy that can't speak, that's a biggie. Bethlehemite. Uh, for the guy, he's from Bethlehem, is what I should have translated it. <laughs> for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul, who's a an extremely jealous leader hears it he will kill me but the Lord said take a heifer with you and say I have come to sacrifice to the Lord then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do you shall anoint for me the one I name to you so Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said do you come peaceably And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons, at least seven of them, and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came, he looked at Eliab. Notice that phrase. The prophet looks at Eliab, the firstborn, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This has got to be our guy. Huge statement in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
and if I could just call a timeout in the midst of the reading, what we have identified that God highly esteems is not on the outside, it is on the inside. And we're going to have to figure out what that is about David. But that's what he's communicated to the prophet. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. This is the second born. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Hmm. Then Jesse made third son, Shammah, pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Now what you don't know in the story maybe yet is there are eight sons. Seven have come. There was one that was almost disregarded that said we're not even inviting him. Hmm. So Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Well, that's a problem. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, which means, I think it means that he was of a red complexion, with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. It's kind of an interesting phrase. Speaking of awkward, you know, the prophets come, nope, 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 the baby, the family, yeah. We had to go get him from watching the sheep. He's the one. The great prophet Samuel comes. He is anointing the next king, and he does the eighth son. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. All in the story, Jesse the father looks and evaluates sons. <laughs> Samuel the prophet looks with his human eyes and he evaluates the sons. God said, no, you're looking at the wrong thing. It is not about any natural ability. It is not about an outward attribute. It is about something that is unseen. And here it is, people. Only God sees what is on the inside. And when God looked at their hearts, he said, that's the one. There was something inside of David, and we're going to have to get to the bottom of that, that God identified by human standards uh, it doesn't make any sense to, by what men can see. He is from a small town of an insignificant family. He is the youngest of eight. There is nothing apparent by his outward appearance or circumstances that says, that says this ought to be the king, but God looks at the inside. There is a verse, and I've, I've included it on your reference sheet, 1 Samuel 13, 14, God said he was rejecting Saul 
because he was going to raise up someone who was a man after my own heart. There is something on the inside. As we turn to the next story of David, which is in 1 Samuel 17, the story of Goliath, the story identifies what it was that was on the inside of David. How many of y'all have heard the story of David and Goliath? That was a joke. Okay, uh, big guy, nine foot nine, uh, the champion of the Philistines. The Philistine army has faced off against the Israelite army. Saul is the king of the Israelites, and they're in this valley. And um, Jonathan, uh, I'm sorry, Goliath comes out and he faces the army and he challenges someone to come and fight him. Forty days this happens. Um, the, all the Israelite soldiers are afraid. Nobody will go out and fight Goliath, who's in full armor, has a shield bear in front of him. He's a massive guy with a massive weapons. He's got it all. It's like, no, not going to do it. Nobody can go out there and fight him. Uh, David shows up. He is not a soldier. He is sent by his father to bring his three older brothers who were there in the battle in Saul's army, supplies. And he sees what Goliath is saying and there's a statement he makes at one point when he says why isn't anybody shutting this boy's mouth up well that's that's from the Hebrew but uh, not exactly that's from Daryl Smith uh, and they kind of shout the, the little boy who's a teenager 17 years of age at this point and David makes the statement he said is there not a cause he has defied our God uh, Saul says, uh, oh, well, you want to fight? You're talking about one of the most cowardly steps a king has ever taken. Well, here, here's my armor if you want to go fight him. But David cannot function with his armor. And we pick up the story, and let me, I want to read the section that starts in verse 40. It says, then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand and he drew near the Philistine and you have to get this picture nine foot nine guy full armor shield bearer spear javelin I don't know what else he had well he had a sword a spear and a javelin and you've got the shepherd boy no armor on all he's got is a slingshot and five smooth stones if you want to see the contrast so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. <laughs> For he was, he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. He was just a kid. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And here it is, people. Watch. We, we do not know from the story yet what is in the heart of David, but David is about to speak, and out of his heart he will speak. Notice what he says. This is, this is, this is the moment that marks David's life. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the... I mean, this dude, I mean, this is some smack talk. I'm talking about it. It's like, oh, no, no. You, some of y'all that know, well, y'all didn't know my game back in the day, but really trash talking was the best part of my basketball game. And, Kind of went downhill after I got off of the bench, you know, and got into the game. But anyhow, that's a whole other story. We're talking about David and Goliath here. This day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Sorry. Sorry, Fisher. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. That is what David speaks out of his mouth. That is an expression of his heart. So it was when the, Philistines arose, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in, into his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it, his own sword. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. This is the experience that marks David's life. And this is when we discover what was it in his heart that God would identify and so esteem that he would say, I will take that person right there. And not only will I honor him by the throne, but I will honor all of his lineage. You see, in the story, David identifies that he has an unseen resource. <laughs> That not his army, the Philistine armies, not Goliath could identify. What was in the heart of God? What was in the heart of David? This is it. David made much of God and little of himself. It's on your sheet. But as I thought about it, as I meditated on it, and I thought, how do you express what God means by a man after his own heart? It is this, that David made much of God. And the correlation, the corollary truth to that is that he made little of himself. Now, I'm just telling you, 30,000 foot view Looking down on the life of David, you say, what is it? Well, it's identified in the story of Goliath. That David was more concerned about God's name 
his reputation, and his cause than his own. Saul was concerned about his own name, his own reputation, his own cause. And that got in the way of him being the king that God needed him to be. Really what I've described to you this morning is God said, I need a king who will represent me in my name, my reputation, and my cause. This was so ingrained in David's heart and his mind that when he heard Goliath speak, he said something has to be done because God's name is profaned. And for us to stand here on the sidelines and do nothing, then God's reputation is put to shame. And for us to not defeat this guy is to suffer defeat to God's cause. David was not concerned about his own reputation, his own name, his own life. And God said, I need someone who will take the place as king, who will reference, will reverence me more than himself. And when we get down to life, to where we live, the reality is what gets in the way of God being much in my life is me making too much of myself. My name, my reputation, my cause. David was one who made much of God and little of himself. That is the best way that I can put it. And it is the reason that God esteems him above everyone else and allows him to represent God as the king over his people for the next 13 years from age 17 to 30 we see this lived out in David's life it amazes me in those 13 years, and you can read the story, but David does not promote himself. It strikes me that he had already been anointed king. He knew he was going to be king, but he did not promote himself. But he leaves his position in the hands of God. He knows that if God has chosen him, God in his time and his way will bring him to the throne. David does not put himself on the throne. He has opportunity to kill the king. At least two occasions that I remember. And you remember the story. He refrains because he said that's God's anointed. I mean, Saul is a guy that tries to pin David to the wall at least twice that I can remember with a spear. I'm thinking, okay, buddy, once you've done it the first time, mm, not putting myself in that situation again, okay? I mean, really for 13 years you, you see the story and David is stripped away of everything in his life as he seeks to honor God and not promote himself. He flees from Saul. Ah, man, so many stories of 
places. He has to hide out. He has to go to the enemy. He joins the side of the Philistines. He goes to Moab. And the enemy, just to find safety from Saul, he loses a wife that Saul has given him. He loses his friend, Jonathan, the king's son. Um, Everything, he loses his home. One of the things that struck me is David is from Bethlehem, and you see all these stories for these 13 years and chapter after chapter. He doesn't go home. Literally everything in his life has been stripped away, but he lives out a life of faithfulness and trust in God. And finally, at 30 years of age, Saul dies, and he is made king. You got to get this, not over all the all 12 tribes, only the tribe of Judah. His capital city is Hebron. And then finally, and I want to conclude with this scripture. 2 Samuel 5, he has he is raised to the place at 37 years of age to being king over all of God's people. 2 Samuel 5. It says, then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be a ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the, to the king at Hebron And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. And what they mean is all 12 tribes. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, God took, I'm sorry, nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Such a historically significant step has effects, as I've said, till our day to day. What you have to understand is that Jerusalem, at least on three sides, sits on a hill. It was, it was a fortress. It was a walled city. It was difficult for a, an invading army to penetrate. And the Jebusites lived there, and David goes, when he is made king over all of Israel, to this place to make a new capital. And Jerusalem is established as the capital of Israel over all 12 of the tribes. But what we will see in the years that follow this, in David's 33 years in Jerusalem, is very significant. He makes Jerusalem not simply the capital of over God's people, but he makes Jerusalem the place of worship.
It was David's spirit, his spirituality, his connection with God that was so esteemed by God that God would choose him to be the greatest king and that through his lineage there would always be someone who would sit on the throne as the descendant of David. Uh, I don't know when that spirituality, <laughs> that making much of God and little of himself came about. My hunch as I studied the life of David, it happened as a young man in those hours of solitude among the sheep in those fields outside of Bethlehem. David is a shepherd. He is a musician that plays a harp. He's a warrior. He is a poet. In the midst, quite honestly, in the midst of the darkest days of his life are the times when David pens the poems that become the songs of Israel to express their own spirituality before God. Do you understand? It's only then that after that, David becomes the great king. God said it was his heart, his spirituality, making much of God and little of himself, that is the greatest thing that I, God said he would ever esteem. And David is the one person in all the Bible. We have more insight into his spirituality through his writings in the book of Psalms than anybody else. If you want to know what it means to make much of God and little of yourself, read the words of David in the Psalms. It's David that not only writes the songs, but he establishes the place of worship and the priesthood and the musicians in all of the order that God's people, more than anything else that could be seen by the eyes of men, it would be their spirituality and their place of worship in Jerusalem That would be the testimony of what it is that God esteems more than anything else. Now, this morning, you and I, 3,000 years later, are confronted by that thought. If what God esteems more than anything else is hearts that make much of him and little of themselves. What is it that God is looking for in us? Hearts that would make much of God and little of ourselves. Hearts as he expressed in the book of Psalms that understand the greatness of God, that God so did a work in David's life that as a 17-year-old boy, he could stand against all God's against all odds with nothing but a slingshot, five stones, and God on his side.
And the reality is Goliath was outmatched that day by a little boy who had a heart after God's own heart, the same kind of heart that God wants in us. This morning, if you would stand with me, and I'm going to pray, and then the altar will be open this morning uh, for your response to what God would want to do in your life. And Father, I pray that you would impress on our hearts what it is that you esteem greater than all else. And Father, today I pray that you would do a work in our hearts so that we would make little of ourselves and much of you. And so, Father, we pray that you would be honored today uh, by the choices we make. And we trust this to you in Jesus' name.